So we're in a series of sermons we've titled Family Under Attack. And the purpose of this series is twofold. First, we want to make sure we understand what the Bible has to say about the issues of marriage and family. Because we've said, if our marriages stay together or don't, it's not the government's fault or education's fault. We are it. Tag, you are it in your marriage. We also want to know how to apply these things practically. And so we want to challenge you to take the truth of God's Word and apply it practically to your life. Now, we don't want this to be just a Sunday morning hour together. Uh, We want to make certain that you, through the week, are thinking about these things. And so we have a daily devotional, right? A daily devotional that you can can get every morning uh, in your your inbox, and you can read it. And it focuses normally on things we're talking about in the sermon series. We've done a book. The Journey Ministry has done a book. You can go to ronmore.org and get that, or you can get it in our bookstore uh, on on our website. You can get it uh, in a book form. You can download it with a PDF form. You can get it on... uh, an ebook form uh, through Amazon. And then also, uh, we have, Tunch uh, Ilkin and I have put together a, a series for the radio called Men's Biblical Manhood. And it's being aired across the country. It's also aired online. And again, you can go to our website and you can find out a station. Maybe you have a, a relative living in a particular part of the country and you want them to hear it. They can do that. Or you can just go to that same website, ronmore.org, and you can click on the broadcast for today. It'll take you to uh, the broadcast um, for that day. And uh, you can, again, download it or stream it, whatever you want to do. Well, today in this Family Under Attack series, we're going to talk about biblical sexuality. And so we're going to be addressing this, uh, this subject straight on. So if, if you didn't know that, and you have children, and you would rather your children not, not be in for this, we understand. And so while I pray, uh, you can take your child out, and we have a tremendous uh, children's ministry that you can put them in. All right? Now, if you just want to leave, don't use this for an excuse. Okay? You need to have a kid with you for this. Father, thank you for the way you work in our lives, you work in our hearts, you work in our minds. Thank you, Father, that you're a God who loves us and you give us great gifts. And today we're going to talk about one of those great gifts that you give us. So, Father, help us as we think through uh, these truths in your word today. And help us, Lord, to apply them uh, to our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Marshall Shelley is the editor of Leadership Magazine, and he writes about a pastor friend of his who moved into a new, a new town, new guy on the block, and he went to the local ministerium where the pastors get together. And as the new guy, they ask him to say the opening prayer. As he was praying, he concluded his prayer by saying, he intended to say, and Lord, give us continued good success. But it didn't come out that way. In his best preacher's praying voice, he said, And Lord, give us continued good sex. He said the room froze. He froze. And finally, a pastor from the back of the room yelled out a hearty, Amen. <laughs> and the guy said, uh, They asked me to pray quite often after that. And it's true, isn't it? We want... Continued good sex. As married couples, that's what we want. And there are some things we need to do to have that. And as, as those who want to get married one day, 
That's what we want. And we need to do some things now to have that. So today we want to we consider this gift of sexuality from Scripture. Last time we looked at five essential elements of marriage. Today, five essential elements of biblical sexuality. Here's number one. Sex is God's idea. Sex is not a dirty word, although it has been perverted and abused and used in ways it should not have. On this side of Genesis chapter 3, sex has always been and is today God's idea. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God formed. That word is the Hebrew word yatsar. It means uh, means to shape or fashion. Later on in that same chapter, in, in, in verse 21, God took from the man's side, and he made a woman. That word made means to build. So think about it. God made the bodies of a man and a woman with all their parts, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He made them to fit together in an act, a beautiful act of oneness. God's idea. Don't think for one second. Adam and Eve came out from behind the bushes one day all blushed and breathless and said, Whew, you'll never... You'll never guess God what we just discovered. (laughs) God's idea from the beginning to the end. It is a pleasurable reaffirming of the covenant and also for procreation. And it comes with a set of instructions. Secondly, it's not only God's idea, but God designed sex For a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. Man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Song of Solomon is a great book in the Old Testament that really is a story about sex. It's a story about a passionate sex between a man and a woman. And the book has three words that appear throughout. The first Hebrew word is ria. It means spirit love. It means connection. It means uh, friend. See, healthy, healthy sexual relationships begin with a man and a woman in marriage, but they begin with a friendship. And that's the place where you can begin to get to know one another, and you can talk about things, and you can learn the substance of one's heart, a non-sexual relationship, because too many jump right into the sexual part, right? And don't really get to know another's heart. And if a husband and wife are going to have good sex together, good continued sex, then they need to continue to develop their friendship. And that means going out on dates together and having fun together and continuing to romance each other in this area of sexuality, friendship. The second word is the word ahav, uh, the Hebrew word. It means uh, heart love. It means commitment. One my heart loves, it's often translated. It describes an emotional love. Uh, sometimes in, uh, in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse uh, 5, uh, for I am faint with love. It describes lovesickness. It describes that time when you fall in love. How does that happen? How does that happen? All of a sudden, you just you fall in love with each other. 
That's what Lori told me one time when, when we were dating, you know. I, when I fell in love with you, I had prayed that if God, that if I married anyone in, in Perry, Oklahoma, it would be you. And I thought, that's pretty cool. But then Perry's a really small town. <laughs> I'd rather she said like Oklahoma or the world. <laughs> what happens when we mysteriously fall in love? Then the last word is dod, uh, physical love. The Hebrew word dod, physical love, consummation. Uh, often it's translated lover. Dod means to caress, to rock, to fondle, to embrace, to consummate. It, it describes the physical act of sex. Now those three things together, that's biblical sexuality. Connection, commitment, consummation. That makes for true sexual intimacy. Without one of those, it doesn't work. Sex without connection or marital commitment is animalistic. That's what happens after you've had too many drinks at a bar. It's a one-night stand by an animal in heat. Connection and sex without marital commitment. You know what that's called? Immorality. Adultery. Fornication. Connection and marital commitment without sex leads to frustration and temptation. But all these three together, spirit, heart, the body, now we're talking about a one flesh relationship. That's what God invented and what He designed. You guys seem a little tense. You all right? Just relax. I'm not talking about money. Just relax. <laughs> so oftentimes, uh, sex is found, you know, in the, in the marital relationship. And one writer, Lauren Winner, said she was a single. She's married now. She was a single, and, and she's a professor at Duke. And she said she just got tired as a single woman. She got tired of sexuality always being placed in marriage. And so she, she set out to write a book, a book's titled Real Sex. And to listen to what she says. But as I wrote, she said, I realized that there was good reason that Christian conversations about sex often circle back to marriage. What sets at the center of the Christian sexual ethics is not a negative view of sex. The Christian vision is not merely no sex before marriage. Rather, the heart of the Christian story about sex is a vigorously positive statement. Sex was created for marriage. Listen to what she says. Without the robust account of the Christian vision of sex within marriage, the Christian insistence that unmarried folks restrain from sex just doesn't make sense. Let me say that again. Without the robust account of the Christian vision of sex within marriage, the Christian insistence that unmarried folks restrain from sex just doesn't make sense. It's true, isn't it? See, God's, God's word on sex is yes, I invented it. It's for marriage. I got the framework for it. Yes, yes, yes. And so when we tell our kids, don't, no, without giving them the vision of why you should wait, and why it's so great in marriage. And this great idea of God we miss out on. The Christian 
vision of robust sexuality. We of all people, Christians, should enjoy this great gift of God and should teach our kids that this is something to wait for. Not just know, but here's why you wait for it. A robust vision. Now, in order to teach a robust account of Christian vision of sex within marriage, we've got to realize that God, he, he, he wired men and women differently. That's the third thing. God wired men and women differently. It's not new news to anyone here. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God made them male and female, right? God made them male and female. And for sex to work well in a marriage, men, you got to be students of your wife. And wives, you need to be students of your husband. If we're to satisfy each other in this gift of God within the framework of marriage, we need to understand each other. And we need to have those conversations. Arterberg and Stoker have written two great books, uh, Every Man's Battle and Every Woman's Desire. And, and they talk about the differences. Now, you can get a lot of books on this, Intended for Pleasure, um, A Lasting Promise. There are a lot of books you can get regarding this. I encourage you to get that if you'd like. But let me give you three contrasts. The primary difference between men and women regarding sensuality and sexuality. By the way, sex is the product. Sensuality is the process. First, men primarily give intimacy during foreplay and receive intimacy during intercourse. That's the way we're wired. Women experience intimacy through touching, through sharing, through hugging, through communication. Both enjoy the act, right? But we, we get there different ways. Is it any wonder, they write, that the frequency of sex is less important to women than men? In fact, women often view sex as a vastly inferior form of interpersonal communication. They resent that we men always run to this form of communication. When we want to express our love, we're automatically in the mood for intercourse. Second one. Men's sexual ignitions are wired to visual stimulation. Women's sexual ignitions are wired to touch and relationship. That's the way God has wired us. That's why men have trouble with pornography. They are wired visually. Women are wired more emotionally. Both enjoy the act, right? We get there in different ways. And so that's why you could have a, you could have a knockdown, drag out argument with your wife, right? And then you go to bed and um, you kind of see her getting ready for bed. Visually, something bong happens in your head. <laughs> and she comes to bed and you start your, you know, your patented first moves. <laughs> and she says, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> and you say, ah, I've never been more serious in my life. And she says, how, how, we, we just had an argument. How can that happen? What are you thinking? You say, oh, the, brain, the, the blood's gone from my brain. I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking. We have to know how each other's wired. Men have a bio, God has wired men to have a biological need for regular sexual release every 48 to 72 hours. In a marriage class, I usually get a standing ovation uh, when I say that. <laughs> One guy said, and we're leaning toward the 48, too. Just don't forget that. 
<laughs> Women's sexual desire is tied to relationship and oneness. You see, we, we got to know how each other is wired. And that's why romance is so important. And that's why hugs are so important. And that's why, guys, it's good to just hug your wife and enjoy the physical relationship without always leading up to what you want. Because our wives get that. And after a while, it can just feel used. We need to understand how we're wired. Number four. Training about sex is a family's responsibility. Family's responsibility. Turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Open your Bibles to Psalm. It's right in the middle. And then one more over is Proverbs. And then one more over is a Song of Solomon, chapter 8. This song, uh, again, is about sex within marriage. There are three main speakers uh, within this song. The beloved is the woman, the lover is the man, and the friends uh, are um, our brothers and sisters and family members. And so the question is asked in chapter 8, verse 8, we have a young sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister for the day she has spoken for? Hear what they're saying? We, we have a, this is obviously a, a reference to a young girl. We have this young girl. We, we, same principles are going to apply to young guys. We have these young people in our house. What, what is our responsibility to them? How do we teach them about this tremendous gift from God that is so powerful? How do we teach them? Well, look at verse 9. If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. Now, the city wall was that strong fortress that protected the city against enemies. So if she's a wall, if she stands firm against the advancement of men, if she remains virtuous, if she remains pure, then we're going to build towers of silver on her. Towers uh, were the things in the city, the, 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 the structure in the city that held um, all the armor. And, and so uh, when the men went out to fight, they would go to the tower and put the armor on. When they weren't fighting, the armor was stored there. And so when you walked by the tower, there was a sense of confidence. There was a sense of encouragement. There was a sense of strength. And so if she's a wall, if she remains virtuous, we will, we will encourage her. We'll give her confidence. We will say, way to go. We will say, on your side. We, we want to help you. We will do everything we can to help you continue to, to handle this, this, this powerful and dangerous gift in a way that honors God. Way to go. But look at verse, the end of verse 9. If she's a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. If she's a door, if she is promiscuous, if she is open to the advances of men, then we will enclose her with panels of cedar. Not literally, but we'll put restrictions on her because we love her so much we don't want her to get hurt. As she matures and becomes sexually aware and the hormones start going on in his body or her body, we will do the things as parents to build the restrictions around them in order to protect them. So when I was growing up, uh, we had this uh, floor furnace. It was, a, it was a furnace on the floor. That's why they called it a floor furnace. 
and uh, it heated the house. Heat came from it. So it was a good thing, right? In the winter, we depended on the floor furnace uh, to heat the house, but, but it got hot. And there was a grate on the floor, metal grate, and it had, uh, you know, little grids in it. And if you, if you turned the corner too fast, it was right, in, right between our living room and the dining room, and if you turned the corner too fast and stepped on that thing, it'd burn, a, it'd burn your shoes. And um, if you ever, like, were barefoot, it's dangerous, right? So my dad uh, built a, I don't know if he bought or built, but he put a fence around that furnace. Now, was that a mean thing to do or a loving thing to do? It's a loving thing to do, right? The furnace was great. We needed the furnace. It was great. He did the house. But it was also dangerous. And he put restrictions on it so we wouldn't hurt ourselves. Parents, you got to do the same thing. we got to do the same thing with our kids. There's got to be restrictions on when they date. It, it, it sickens me, really, when I hear parents talk about their little 13-year-old and you know, having boyfriends and girlfriends, and they think that's so cute. That's not cute. That's dangerous. So we, so we may make it time when they can date, make sure they are mature enough to do it. You've got to do that as parents. I don't care what other families are doing. I don't care what families in the church are doing. You've got to say, this is the time you can date, not before that, and then only with some restrictions. For us, it was 35 years old. We thought that, <laughs> we thought that was fair. How your kids dress. Remember, we just said guys are visually stimulated. So you want your daughter to walk out of the house like that and walk through the halls of the school knowing what guys are seeing and knowing what guys are thinking. You really want that for your daughter. Well, but that's the style. I don't care. It's your daughter. And you've got to build the protection around her. Same with your son. How about friends? Make sure you know the friends of your kids. When they're hanging out with them, what are they doing? What house are they at? Because some houses you go to, you know, that's where the co-ed sleepovers are and the alcohol is served, but, hey, but, they, take, but they take the keys, right? <laughs> they got all the keys. Baloney. You got to make sure you know who your kids' friends are. Why? But, I, but I can't tell my kids who what friends to have. Hey, really? I thought we were the parents. I thought we were the mature ones in this deal. And we've got to build the restrictions around our kids. How about the computer? Pornography among young kids is, boys, it's, it is on the rise. Talk to some counselors. Why is it? Because it is readily available. You don't have to go sneak, sneak out by the convenience store anymore, right? It's right there on the phone. Oh, but they have to have it because everybody else has it. Everybody else has a phone. Well, you just put pornography in their pocket. Now, I'm not telling you not to give your kids a phone. But you're the parents. You have to build the restrictions around the dangerous areas of their life. Now, let me state the obvious. No matter, no matter what restrictions you put, if your child wants to get around them, they will. The final, teenagers, young adults, the final responsibility is you. 
and you can say, I'm a wall or I'm a door. This individual here says in verse 10, I am a wall. My breasts are like towers, not literally, but, but, there's, but I have res- respect and confidence in who I am. I don't, have to, I don't have to go sleep with the guy to be accepted. I don't have to have my name talked about in the locker room to be in the popular group. I'm confident in who I am. Thus I have become in his eyes like one who brings contentment. Remember, this is her wedding night. Word contentment is the Hebrew word shalom. It means peace. I can bring peace to my husband. I don't have all the baggage. I don't have all the baggage. I can bring complete uh, peace because I've done this God's way. Now, we don't always do it God's way. And thank God there's forgiveness. But starting today, we can do it his way. Whatever you've done in your past, he can forgive you. And by his grace, he can put you on a track of, uh, of transformation. Starting today, you can do it God's way. So again, as parents, we can do all these things, and we, we can't guarantee what our kids are going to do, right? I mean, if, I could, if we could guarantee that, I would write a book, and everybody would buy it, right? And with the money I made, we could pay off the debt at the church, and we could build the children's expansion, and we could fund the journey. Personally, without having to ask anyone for money. That'd be pretty cool, actually. But there's no book out there to be written because everyone makes up their mind on their own. But as parents, we have to make sure we have those restrictions in there. Sex is God's idea. Reserved for man and woman in the covenant of marriage. Men and women are wired differently. Training about sex is a family's responsibility. One more. Husbands and wives are responsible to meet each other's sexual needs. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife... And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. As husband and wife, when you said, I do, you were giving your whole self to each other. And now your responsibility is to meet the needs of one another. Not only in sexuality, but boy, it's one powerful area, isn't it, that Paul addresses. Sex should never be used as a tool to uh, make your point. Should never withhold it in order to get something you want. It's not used for manipulation. You don't, you don't abuse it. You don't use it. You don't use it for manipulation. Now, hear me on this. There is never, ever ever, 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 ever an excuse for adultery. Never. So, so no excuses. Never ex- an excuse for immorality. No excuses. Never an excuse for pornography. Absolutely no excuses. 
But, and, if you're in a relationship, husbands and wives, and you are not fulfilling each other, and you're holding back or holding out, you've not, you've not really worked hard at developing this part of your marriage, you've not kept the friendship there, then the temptation for adultery, the temptation for immorality, the temptation for pornography rises. That's what Paul says. Look at verse 6. Look at verse uh, uh, 4, rather. Do not, or 5. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. So you both agree, and then for time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not, what? Tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul's not saying that in a negative way. He's saying there is a great need there. And if you don't fulfill it as husband and wife, then the temptation to go fulfill it someplace else, never right, but the temptation rises. And Satan is a student of human nature. And so he'll put things before, he does put things before us, right? That will cause temptation in those areas. So husbands and wife, you're responsible to meet each other's need. Are you meeting each other's need? I don't know. Ask your spouse. It's a conversation you should have. Men, you should be leading in that conversation. Knowing how you're wired to your wife, am I fulfilling you? What do I need to do? What can we do differently? Well, here's one other thing. Um, we have to be realistic about our expectations regarding sex. You see, sex isn't always like it is in the movies. I mean, I, I don't watch those movies, but I mean, I've heard uh, <laughs> stuff. Sometimes it is amazing. Sometimes it is, it is beautifully ordinary. So sometimes when you're hungry, right, you plan this great night out. You plan to go on Mount Washington and go to a five-star restaurant. And, uh, man, you get, you get dressed up for it. You think about it. You plan for it. And, um, and you go in there, and, and they take you, and they put you at a seat so that you, you can look over Pittsburgh and beautiful view, see the three rivers. And, uh, and then they bring all these different courses. And then they, in between, they bring, they bring the stuff that cleanses your palate. Sorbet, sorbet. No, I know it's just sorbet. I was joking. I know it's sorbet. And so, and so, and you have this great night, right? And it's like one salad, and then this comes, and then this comes, and and they cook some of it right there. It's just a, it couldn't be better. And at the end of the at the end of the night, you're filled up, right? Satisfied. Sometimes. You do um, fast food, right? You go through the drive-thru. <laughs> so you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> <laughs> and when you go through the drive-thru, 
you're filled up, right? Okay, so C.S. Lewis says it a little better than that. Actually, last night I used a turkey sandwich, and someone afterwards said, I will never eat a turkey sandwich again. (laughs) Okay, C.S. Lewis, he says it better. My wife and I feasted on love. Every mode of it, solemn and merry, romantic and realistic, sometimes as dramatic as a thunderstorm, sometimes as comfortable and unemphatic as putting on your soft slippers. No cranny of the heart or body remained unsatisfied. It's good stuff, isn't it? Sometimes it's like a thunderstorm. Sometimes, like uh, comfortable and unemphatic, it's putting on your soft slippers. But no cranny of the heart or body remained unsatisfied. See, when you do sex God's way, you are with the husband or wife you love. You're with the person you have fun with. You're with the person you're committed to. And you're making plans for five years out and ten years out because you know you're going to be with each other in a decade. Unless God takes one of you home. You're with the person you share children with. You're with the person who knows how strange and weird you really are. (laughs) Loves you anyway. Sometimes then sex is mind-blowing. Sometimes it is need meeting, but it is in the context of doing life together. It's in the context of a committed relationship, and that's what makes sex so, sex so absolutely beautiful in a marriage relationship. It takes place in the context of an invested life. Sometimes the kids are down the hall. Sometimes the dishes are in the sink. Sometimes the parents are sick. Sometimes you are struggling with stress at work. Sometimes things are going on all around you. But since sex takes place with a person, not a picture, a person that you are committed to for better or worse or richer or poor in sickness and in health, then all of life, all of life's relationships, all of life experiences are just uh, beautifully exemplified in this act of marital sex. And every time, husbands and wives, you come together, you know what you're saying? You're all mine. I give myself to you fully. I reaffirm my covenant I made with you. I love coming together one in body. We are demonstrating oneness the way God meant it to be. And I'll marry, I would would marry you all over again. The power of sex in a marriage reconfirms a relationship over and over and over. Now, two things, and then we're done. If you're having some issues in this area, And by the way, this is one of the big three that blow up marriages. If you're having some issues, we have a counselor, Patrick Coffey, who's a gatekeeper, and he can help you get with who you need to get with. His email address is uh, pcoffey, C-O-F-F-E-Y, 
BibleChapel.org. And you can email him. Again, he's a gatekeeper, and he'll get you with the person you need to get to. Husbands, I'm going to tell you this. If you have some issues going on in your marriage relationship, it's on you. It's your responsibility. You're the member. You're the servant leader. And if there's, if there's something not happening like it should be in your relationship, in this powerful area, it's on you to get something done. So swallow your pride and get some help. So uh, yesterday, we uh, had a memorial service right here for Dorothy uh, Vandegrift. Uh, uh, she and, uh, and Duke have been married for 65 years. 65 years. They knew each other about five years before that. So, so 70 years, a lifetime. And if you know Duke, I mean, to put up with him for 65 years, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's like sainthood right there. To hear their story was pretty, was pretty cool. Uh, the way he invited her to a, a Steeler game on their first date. And, uh, and the way he romanced her uh, during her life. And, and, and the thing that I thought was so cool when I saw Dorothy and, and Duke together. You could, tell, you could tell their love for each other. And uh, you, could tell the, you could tell the tremendous admiration and respect and love she had for him. Strong, strong woman. But uh, they were so cool to see them together. So Duke bought Dorothy a yellow rose uh, every anniversary, and uh, the number of roses corresponded to the, the year of the anniversary. So 65, and that got pretty expensive after a while. And that's one of the ways he, uh, he reminded her, that wasn't one time a year, but one of the ways he reminded her, I, I love you. I'd do it all over again. I'd ask you out again to that Steelers game. Thank you for committing your, your life to me. See, what's going to be your yellow rose? What do you use to remind your husband and your wife how much you love them and care for them? When Tunch Ilkin and I did this uh, biblical manhood thing, we were talking about marriage, and, and Tunch was talking about how the guy always went, wants to win the beauty. And we do, don't we? We think about the dating relationship, all the things we did to win the beauty. But then we got married, guys, and what happened? It was like we won... And now we're on to other things. We still need to win the beauty. And we need to do everything we can to make sure our wife knows in this area of sexuality that for us it's just not about the physical act. We are there also to meet the emotional needs and the care and the affection. Because remember, sex is the product. But sensuality is the process. Father, thank you for this beautiful gift you've given us. This powerful gift you've given us. This gift that has, the, that has the power to bless marriages beyond belief and the power to blow them up. Father, help us to do this your way. And help us to be those who speak to our 
husbands and wives about this. It's a shame, Father, when we can't talk about this, this beautiful gift that you've given. So help us to be open as husbands and wives. Are we satisfying each other? Help us to ask that question this week and then do the things we need to do to be the true husband, the true wife who has that friendship, that love, and that physical act that, that unites a marriage together. Be with us, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.